Hey everybody, welcome back to Overanalyzed. We're really happy by the reception we got about our guest episode. We'll hope to do more of those soon. But today it's just me and my good buddy June here. And we're actually been talking about doing this topic for a good bit now. And June really took it away and wrote up a ton of things in our shared document. So I said, I'll just take the the back seat here, let him lead the discussion. And I have a lot of thoughts on the things he said. So the topic we're going to talk today about is the things we wish we learned in high school. You know, we all sat through high school courses and some of them we didn't have that much interest in. And you get into the real world, even just in college, but it, particularly in the real world. And you just learn there's so many other things that you need to know that maybe your parents didn't tell you and definitely not your teachers. And you had to learn it on your own. So... Yeah, June, let's, uh, let's hear what you have in store for us. I guess actually the first one I want to talk about is not that my parents didn't teach me. It's that I was too lazy to learn. My parents absolutely try to teach me. This is how to cook. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, going into college, uh, definitely did not know how to cook. I mean, I think my best dish was a bowl of ramen with some hot dogs some chopped hot dogs in there. Mm. I started off with uh craft Mac and cheese. Oh, oh, well, there you go. Like, wait, may like the craft ones that now there's different levels of craft Mac and cheese. They're the ones that already craft with a K. No, 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 no I understand. <laughs> I didn't, I, didn't, oh. I mean like artisanal <laughs> Mac and cheese, no? like craft beers, craft. No. <laughs> oh man. No, 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 no. I'm talking about like the ones that come in the boxes with the, the elbows and and the cheese and or or the ones that are in the little cup and all you had to do is just like what add some water i think right i remember those those were for desperate days yeah oh all the above i mean at the snack shop they had those and we could use our um, campus dollars on them and i would frequently get those case of emergency i mean i didn't always have a a stove did you i sometimes only had a microwave yeah, freshman year, I think our entire floor, which I feel like was maybe like 16 different rooms, right? Each one anywhere from like doubles to three or four people. We all shared one one stove, one little kitchenette. So yeah, okay, wasn't really practical cook. I think the only person that actually cooked was the RA. So yeah, uh, but... Even, you know, like junior year, like that ramen and hot dog dish I was talking about, that was like junior year. You know, I wasn't exactly freshman year. I kind of get, okay, freshman year, they get a buy, right? It's like maybe you have a dining plan. Maybe you have, you're just eating out all the time, right? As you adjust and things like that. But yeah, definitely cooking later on, I realized how I don't know how to do that. And I would call my parents. I'd be at the grocery store. So buying groceries is another thing. I don't know how to buy groceries. I was like, what do I buy? How do I buy groceries in such a way that vegetables don't go bad and I have to throw them away too frequently? And do you go to the grocery store with a recipe in mind? Or do you kind of just buy whatever looks good and then come up with the recipes later? I will say the latter comes later as you get better at cooking. Because then you can become more creative. So things in your fridge, you just look at it and you go, oh, I can make this and this and this. You know what I mean? You can tweak recipes and maybe you know. But that takes time once you already 
know several recipes or have a good idea of how to use ingredients. But in the beginning, I was definitely like, I don't even know what to buy. I didn't even have recipes. So I'd be at the grocery store calling my parents, like, how did you guys make so-and-so? Or and my parents are just, I don't know, they're Asian parents. So when I ask them how to cook for, when I ask them for a recipe, they just kind of say, well, you just need these ingredients and then you cook it. <laughs> There's no like, I ask them like, well, how much salt do I add? Well, how much sauce do I add? And how many, how many tomatoes am I so, and they just says, they just say enough when, when it looks right, however much looks right. right. You know what I mean? Like it's very much like a cook by feel. They don't really have their own recipes written down anywhere. They just learned it from when they were young from their parents, my grandparents. And they do have some recipes written down. And I've kind of forced them to write a few down just so, uh, you know, that they can send it to me. But yeah, I, I think um, over time, I definitely got a little better at cooking. I remember learning how to cook chow mein was like a huge deal for me. And that was something I always wanted to eventually make better than my dad. Because that was like my dad's specialty was his chow mein. Have you achieved that goal? No, no, you know what? At some point after college, I think maybe like like two years after college or so, I was still making chow mein a lot. I definitely had that thought. I was like, you know what? I'm, I need to go home on one of these days when I visit my parents and I need to make chow mein for them and just kind of like blow my dad out of the water. But I don't think that happened. <laughs> I don't think I ever could achieve that level. I don't know. It, it's just like, maybe it's just a bias towards nostalgia but i don't think i will ever be able to cook as well as my parents even if other people think i might for certain dishes you know what i mean even if i'm a professional cook you know what i mean and i learn all my parents recipes and i cook even more than they do i feel like i will there's always something about like yeah i just can't do it the way my mom does it or my my, my dad does it you know what i mean like i don't because i feel like my I guess I understand it from a perspective of just a person in general, right? Like I've learned how to make bamias from my Thea Bopi, but they're not quite the same. And I don't know why. I don't know if I haven't actually physically cooked with her. I've just heard the recipe through my mom, through her tips and tricks, but it's still not quite the same. And my grandmother's taught me some recipes. And I think those I pretty much hit out of the park because it turns out, her recipes were fairly straightforward. I was kind of surprised how basic some of these dishes are, but how delicious they are. I think it's interesting when you start to have these handed down recipes because I actually learned those very late in the game. I did a lot of my cooking just through Googling things online and making do, learning with my roommate who was a year ahead of me, so he had a little bit more experience that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I definitely looked up my fair share of recipes as well, and I do that mostly nowadays too. But in the beginning, I think it was it was missing my parents cooking that really made me want to keep asking them how they made certain dishes. It was me wanting to eat what my parents made, you know what I mean? Like call it homesickness or something or whatever, but I was craving certain dishes my parents would make. And so I wanted to learn how to make those and 
Yeah, and, and, and maybe it's part of it is that, like, my parents were never really clear in their instructions on how to make these things, so I had to kind of adapt it, and so I don't think I've ever made it 100% the way they do, and so I could never actually get it exactly the way they can get it. And some of it comes down to ingredients, too. Like, certain Chinese ingredients, I don't think I can really buy the same ones here as maybe where they get it from, you know, in their Asian grocery stores. So it might come down to that as well. And, you know, when you buy rice noodles, it's just like you can be overwhelmed, right? Like rice noodles themselves have different types. Then you get into like mung bean noodles and vermicelli noodles and different types of noodles that it's like, man, with different thicknesses and all these things. So it gets gets very complicated very quickly, but... And now, like, the funny thing is I don't even make rice really much anymore because Carolina makes it better than I th- than I think, right? Like, my parents, when they make, when they used to make rice, it was always in a rice cooker. Right. You don't do a rice cooker? No. So, my whole life, I didn't know how to cook rice outside of a rice cooker. That's just how Chinese people use it, right? I think it's funny that when I've told friends that that's how my parents and I grew up making rice... They're kind of in disbelief. They're like, really? Because they think rice cooker, using a rice cooker is like cheating. I'm like, no, that's just like being practical, you know? (laughs) No, no, no. I would never think that. I thought everybody used a rice cooker. Yeah. I mean, I think you're probably one of the few people who think that because a lot of people are like, oh, rice cookers, you know, you're not really, you're not really cooking rice, but. You kidding me? It's perfect rice every time. (laughs) Exactly. That's what I mean. And, you know, there are some really fancy rice cookers and all that stuff. But yeah, my parents and they never added anything. It was always just water and rice. That's it. Right. And now like Carolina makes rice and she does it on a cooktop with as she adds onions and garlic and olive oil and, you know, all these things that uh, like some salt, I think. And it's freaking delicious. Like I can eat a whole pot of rice by itself. I mean, it's really good rice. And so I don't even make rice anymore. I've definitely drifted quite a bit away from my parents cooking now. And I just don't even have time to cook as much. But anyways, going back to, yeah, what I wish I learned from high school, that was one of the things that I wish I'd actually paid attention to instead of like playing video games or or watching TV or whatever. I would actually like pay attention to my parents when they were cooking. So that was that was a thing. I think the biggest thing for me was I wish I had learned earlier that you can cook food much less than you're normally told and it's more delicious. Learning about the idea of sl- slow cooking, sous vide, like we didn't have a slow cooker when I grew up. Sous vide wasn't like a thing talked about really. It wasn't in the pop culture yet. And it's completely changed my life. I mean, tonight, for instance, I sous vide some chicken. Yep. I very seldom use the stovetop unless I am in a rush or if it's a very particular kind of dish. It's a total game changer. Yeah, I agree. I think the different methods of cooking, I wish I knew how to, how to grill, right? That was something I didn't learn until I bought my own grill after I bought this house. Yeah. Never actually grilled since then. But now, like, I love grilling. It, it's so easy. It's a piece of cake to clean up. You know what I mean? Like, the food tastes better. Today, I smoked some salmon in the grill. Now, granted, I kind of overdid it, but still. You got to try sous vide salmon, bro. It is so good. We have. We have tried that. And actually, we, so tried that, we tried that like last weekend, I think. And it's quick, too. I think we only 
We put it, I think, at one. Minutes. Yeah, exactly. I don't even think we do it. One fifteen. I think we do like twenty five minutes or something. Super fast. That's aggressive. Yeah, but oh, but see, our temperature is higher. I think we do it at one twenty five. Oh, okay. Anyways, so I think these all these different cooking methods would have been great. You know, sous vide would have been great in college. You know what I mean? Because that's oh, sure. something that you, oh, you know, need a pot you of water. Just, you yeah. need a pot of water. You don't even need a pot. Just a to plastic bin. You know what I mean? Like water. Yeah. Right. You need an outlet. Boom. Done. You don't have to sear it. You know what I mean? I mean, you can if well, you want you to, but when you don't need to. When you off to college, <laughs> just give him a sous vide. Uh, like, here's your wand. Give him a, give him a plastic <laughs> bin and a sous vide. It's like, now you're set. Go forth. <laughs> Conquer the world. <laughs> <laughs> Man. That's actually a thing that's interesting to think about is what cooking will be like because I think cooking is changing. I really do with technology. You know, I remember growing up, you'd see those convection ovens. It was like the all rage. I think that was a new thing at that point. The idea of putting a fan in your oven. Hmm. You know, the one thing I kind of want, I used to watch a ton of, uh, what are those called? Like the, the, the paid for advertisement programs that are like half an hour long. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're always some like cheesy, uh, it's always during the summer eh, infomercials. Thank you. They're always like during the summer when I'm at home, there's no school, there's nothing else to watch. And there's only infomercials. Like, so this is before we had cable. So one of the things I always watch were these, uh, I don't remember the brand, but they were rotisserie chick. There is like a rotisserie machine, right? That you can make rotisserie chicken at home. Dude, I want one of those even now. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, rotisserie chicken's I love very good. Rotisserie chicken, right? Like Peruvian chicken. You know what I mean? Like, mm. we we have like the spots that we love to go to because they they do it really well. Although our favorite spots, like, I don't know, they've been the quality hasn't been as good. The one in Towson, it's like, yeah, I don't know. The chicken the last few times we had it, I feel like it's been a little more dry, but. Anyways, I wish I could make that at home. Rotisserie chicken, you just kind of set it and forget it, and voila. Now, the other trend yeah. we haven't gotten on to is like Instapot. That's the other thing, right? Instapot. Everybody's talking about Instapot. Mm-hmm. It was like the, the, the gift of the year of like, you know, 2017. So, I feel like there are definitely still skills I would like to learn. The Instapot's pretty cool. If you want to borrow mine, let me know. It's not something yeah. I deploy too frequently. Okay. But... I think the cool thing about it is you can saute in it first and then you can transition into the pressure cooking part. And also you can steam things. You can um, make rice in it. It acts as a rice cooker. So there's a lot of functionality it offers, but I'm just so in love with my sous vide. I know I was as, as I'm sure you do as well. I was totally evangelizing sous vide to a bunch of people this past, mm-hmm. over on Memorial day. It was like a bunch of friends that it was some some people we met and yeah they never heard of sous vide so it was just funny because there was another guy he was filipino and he also does a lot of sous vide and the whole time so everybody else was like what's sous vide and then i started explaining it and this filipino guy is so funny oh my goodness he just kept like every every three words i would say he goes yeah yeah you know <laughs> i was like i'd be like yeah your chicken will never go dry he goes yeah yeah chicken never goes dry 
because he, he was so he was so into it as well um, oh it was so good it was it's like having a little chorus well that's like when this memorial day similarly we were talking about where we're gonna host like where our friends were gonna get together and have it and they're like oh the house doesn't have a grill anymore tim's parents took it recently and i was like man we don't need no grill i'll sous vide these burgers i'll sous vide everything i'll throw it on get that last minute sear you'll love it but uh we ended up going to a friend's parents house and they had a grill and it was it was great but <laughs> i was like ah oh, we don't need no grill <laughs> it's 2019 yeah yeah well and searing too speaking of searing right like just different finishing techniques i wish i knew more about that yeah but you bring up you brought up a good point earlier is that i mean even in college there was just no good effective way to actually do these things i didn't have the equipment now part of it was that i didn't know i didn't know that you could do these things you know what i mean like yeah this is if you want to make a steak and you want to finish it you want to sear it well there's like a bajillion different ways to do that and it's been so fun exploring all these different methods you know like i went from just doing it on a on a pan to trying it on a grill to now i use the whole chimney thing the the charcoal chimney which like right. best sear ever you know what i mean like we i do t- i sear tunas after sous videing tunas mm, tuna steaks on there so yeah steaks um yeah pork chops whatever right like it, it's mm, that's the best sear the highest heat yeah it's definitely what you want to do I have some questions, June, about these this washing of clothes. Mm. So, may I share my story first? Go for it. So, my mom is a legend, honestly, when it comes to cleaning clothes. She can get basically any stain out. And to this day, if I have a particularly gnarly issue, I'll just hand it to my mom and I say, <laughs> I have a challenge for you. That's adorable. <laughs> because I'm telling you, dude, she doesn't share her secrets. Uh, like not even I to mean, you you're i feel your as son though, you're the heir of these secrets the, the heir, rightfully the heir of the secrets so i i think i think it has to do with the product she uses and maybe like timing it's probably just a more patience and labor of love thing because i've tried some of those products and it doesn't quite work the same way because like i'll ask her i'll be like dang you, you did it again she's like yeah it wasn't easy and i was oh. like okay <laughs> like what concoctions you make in your laboratory know, right? yeah. like, <laughs> what, what incantations did you have to whisper <laughs> what prayer did you say beforehand <laughs> <laughs> so and she when i went to school though she was telling me like oh you want to separate this and that and she just said get some tide detergent like it doesn't really matter didn't really ever bother in the foray of fabric softeners or bleaches and as I went through college and I saw other people doing their laundry, I just degraded into one big hamper, throw it all in, do it on cool so you don't have any color mixing, right? And uh, call it a day. <laughs> yeah, so, and, dude, and amen, to, amen. And, and, and to this day, I'm just like, I, I slowly rolled back all the clock. Now, granted, this is probably why I can't get out the toughest stains is because I don't have these techniques. I don't have the confidence. But you know what? I think my life's okay. The biggest thing I want to learn, so I'll say this. Like my white shirt, like my white dress shirts, you know how they get stained over time Mm -hmm. and you're like, I feel like that's the job of bleach, right? But I've always been afraid to deploy it Mm. because I'm afraid something bad is going to happen because I can never quite get it as white as I imagine it should be. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you on, on all that. And I've never used bleach in my life other than to clean the actual uh, washing machine itself, like running a cleaning cycle with bleach. But I've never used it with clothes because I'm also... That's a thing? I didn't even, I didn't even realize uh, that was a thing. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. Yep. Um, I think most washing machines have that ability to just... It just cleans itself, basically. Because, you know, it's a wet thing, right? And then... If you keep the lid closed, it, it doesn't dry properly. So, you know, there's some nasty stuff that could build up in there. But um, mm. so bleach, like you said, is great for that, especially since it kills bacteria. But I, I always thought of it as like this thing that is potentially very harmful. You know what I mean? Like damaging to clothes. And I don't think of exactly. it as like, oh, yeah, yeah, right. You can you can use bleach to clean whites to get rid of to clean whites really well. But I also just don't have that many white shirts. But so anyways, I'm still kind of scared of bleach. I don't know really when or how to use it. Now, the other thing is fabric softener. I just never get it. Like, what's the point of fabric softener? And I, and I, I would say this with the, with the disclaimer that I have accidentally used fabric softener for probably months thinking that it was de- detergent. Now I don't know mm-hmm. when the last time you tried you bought washing detergent, uh, it, it, but the bottles look identical to fabric softeners. I mean, at least yeah, for me, when the, label. the last time I bought it, yeah. And and the only on the freaking label, it it's in like the smallest font possible. It says fabric softener, right? And that's it. Uh, and you know, detergents. I don't even know if they say detergent. You know what I mean? They just like you just have to, I guess, know. So, anyways, I just remember, like, this was at a period when I worked out a lot, too. So, I remember my clothes just, like, had the stink that I couldn't get rid of. It's like, what the hell? Mm. And I was like, oh, look at that. One day I realized. So, anyways, fabric softener, I don't really get it. Yeah. Does it soften your fabric? Is that what it's for? Is that <laughs> Fabric softener? I don't know. I never really used it, June, to be completely honest with you. Right. I, I will say, once I did, oh, I did smear some red onto a white shirt and kind of made me sad all over and um shrinking clothes i haven't really done i've had a few i think most clothes come pre-shrunk this these <sighs> days now rachel on the other hand she ruined one of my sweaters yeah because she she drew she dried it you know she she did the drying yeah yeah and it comes in this little tiny tiny thing and i was like rachel i'm not this buff <laughs> <laughs> you don't have the pecs to wear something that tight, huh? <laughs> I, my lack of pecs is, is oddly apparent. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, a shrinking sweater is I've done countless times. And it's unfortunate because sweaters are very nice and expensive. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's the tricky thing is like, I think in my college days, I did exactly as you were to, used to do, which is just being... I wouldn't call it lazy, but just like, what's the quickest way I can do to get my clothes clean, right? And it was just, yeah, I don't want to deal with separating colors. I throw them all into the well with almost no consequences, June. Right, detergent, thing. yeah. And then you set you set you ch- you set the settings to what like warm water, you know, at most, never hot. Right, right, right. Um, don't risk it. <laughs> yeah, and detergent, right? That's it. Now, sometimes, this is when I learned the power of stain removers, right? And just like, I remember when I found out like those were even a thing, 
that like, oh, if you got a stain, just spray a st- spray the stain remover, you know, shout or whatever, right, on top of your stain, let it sit for five minutes, throw it in the wash, and voila, it's gone. Like, when I found out about that, I was mind blown. So, that, uh, these are little hacks that I learned, but yeah, so bleach, I still don't really know really how to do that. <laughs> and then shrinking clothes I've been better at, especially with like, some of Carolina's clothes that are maybe a little more delicate. I make sure I read the little labels now. Yeah, so that's that's definitely a thing. I remember in college though, there would be there were people who none of my like actual friends did this, but I remember like people I knew that they would get the laundry services where they take away your dirty laundry in a bag and then they come back like the next day. It's like folded, you know, it's clean, folded, wrapped up and delivered to you. And voila, you've got clean clothes. And I always looked That's at that. That's super expensive on travel. I bet it is expensive. I don't know about travel, but I think there's just companies that I think do that as a service. You know what I mean? I mean, yes, it, it would be very expensive. It's not cost effective at all. But some kids, I guess, had the money. So... So, June, one thing I would say about budgeting that's interesting is that my parents always taught me, you know, save money. Take half your paycheck, they would tell me, back when I first started. Take half your paycheck and just save it. Don't use it. And I actually was really good at that for a long time. And I don't know what happened next. And then I got really bad at saving. And I think it was just because I wasn't working enough to really save. Like, I had more expenses than I could pay for. So I stopped doing that. And then when I got left college, I no longer had that same issue. And I saved pretty well, but I had to pay my parents back. You know, I wanted to pay them back for what they helped me with. And then I started living on my own, and there was a lot of costs with living on your own for the first time. And I actually just didn't save very well at all for for a couple years. Like I I wasn't a hundred percent like broke. I wasn't a hundred percent living paycheck to paycheck, but I was pretty close to it. Like if I had a disruption for maybe a week or two, I would have not had enough saved buffer. And I'm glad that I've gone away from that. Now that's partially because of, of just increasing income and not really increasing lifestyle much. But I think it's mostly because I actually pay attention now. I'm much more deliberate. And mm-hmm. that certainly helped. I don't know if my parents ever did a spreadsheet. I feel like they just kind of looked at the balances and the statements and said, did it go up or down? So I don't think I, I know they, they definitely had a checkbook and they would balance the checkbook. You know, they did that, but it wasn't, I don't think it was the same, you know, it wasn't like a spreadsheet. It wasn't budgets for each thing. It was kind of just making sure they're mm-hmm. keeping above water or keeping with some kind of trend that they had in mind. Yeah. What about you? And I think actually I'll just take another step. I'll say that money was taboo you know like we even inside the family they didn't Mm. really talk about money much like i don't i didn't have too much of an idea like i I had an idea of what my dad made i guess but i didn't have like too much idea of their financial situation in general i didn't know like how much anything really cost other than sticker prices right i remember one time my asked my dad like is a hundred dollars expensive like and he's like well what for and i said i don't know like that bike you know it's a hundred dollars is that expensive and he's like for a bike, that's not terrible. He's like, but $100 is not anything just to sneeze at. 
you know, he's like, some things yeah. it's worth to pay a hundred dollars, but right. other things it's not. And I was like, you know, I, I had no semblance of, of really how much anything was supposed to be and, and how much things cost. Yeah. My house, my family growing up was the same way. Yeah. My parents never really talked about money. It wasn't polite. And I guess taboo is a good word to use. I don't even know how much ab- about money my parents talk about to each other, but yeah, a lot of the money stuff I had to learn on my own. The first time I learned how to budget was after college. And I remember thinking that, oh, having a budget's going to help me essentially manage my spending, right? So the idea is if I set limits, a budget for each category, then I'll know how much I can spend every week, eventually every month, right? Because the rhythm is monthly. But and initially, I was doing pretty good, right? Whatever app I was using, I would always check, like, you know, daily. Like, okay, what's my budget for food, for groceries, for eating out, for buying miscellaneous things, for whatever, right? So I knew, like, where I was. And at the end of the day, at the end of the month, I knew, okay, this is how much money I've left. And my goal was to save this much and put it into a savings account or whatever. And usually that happened, right? So that was good. And I think that's a pretty big reason why we were able to save enough. And we did get some help from my uh, parents too, but just to save enough for like our first house and things like that, because I was saving a good amount initially. And I think budgeting helped me a a lot with that. Nowadays though, I, I still have a budget, right? Like I use Mint, I still have a budget, but I do not check my, <laughs> where I am, you know, what was my, what's my spend to budget? You know, it, I just don't do that anymore. And I'm much more like at the end of the month, kind of just tally up like, okay, how much did I spend? How much, what was my income? And then whatever left over, if any, put in a savings account. And that's just kind of what I do now. And I will go and properly categorize things if they're not already automatically categorized correctly, because then I can at least look at trends and I'll say like, wow, why do we spend so much money on buying on like shopping miscellaneous, right? And you click into that and you can see, oh, right. Cause I bought all these things. <laughs> oh, because Apple, yeah. right. Sure. You have to have an Apple budget. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have an Apple budget. There you gotta go. be like Alec. <laughs> you gotta have an Apple budget. Well, I do actually make budgets for smaller, I don't know, moments, I guess, in my life. For instance, I have vacation budgets Mm. for each vacation because usually a vacation is self-contained in a month. So it's easy to be like, I'm going to spend this much on the vacation that month. And like, for instance, when we went to San Diego, we actually spent like less than half than what I allocated. And I was like, awesome. But then we spent way more in furnishing the house. Although not really. We have more budgeted for furnishing the house, but... I was like, ah, we won't use it all. <laughs> and then we we used like a good like half of it, but it was all in one yeah. month. So it was like, oh, all right. So like for like last two months, we've been actually negative because right. between car insurance and all the right. furniture that we bought. Yep. We just, it, it's been negative, but yep. we had good months beforehand. And, and, you know, when you have that year long view, you're able to see that. Yeah. And, and I think for people like us, we're fortunate enough to have an income that can support more or less just spending wherever we need to, right? 
um, in a, in a way that we don't have to track every penny. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm lucky enough that I don't have to go and see, can I eat out tonight? Do I have money in the budget left to eat out? And I just, if, if it's, you know, if my family decides, Hey, we're eating out, we're going to eat out. You know what I mean? And that's the freedom that I'm very thankful for. And it's partly, I think budgeting is very important when it comes to simply a matter of how many things that you want to spend money for versus what is the total resources. So for like, I don't know, I'm just going to use the government as an example, right? The government, whether it's state or federal, right? Like these places need a budget because you have so many people that want to spend money in many, 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 many different ways, right? But you have a limited set of resources. You have a limited set of revenue for the government. And so you can only spend that money in certain ways. Um, I think of it as like, people wanting to use money is like all this crap going through a funnel and what comes out of the funnel this small funnel is then ultimately what gets funded from a from a state budget or a federal budget for example right so whereas like in my life i don't have a funnel like i don't need a funnel like i'm not you know what I mean? I don't have like 10 people wanting to spend different, spend my money in many different ways. You know what I mean? It's just, you this is my family. <laughs> All these kids. Well, yeah. Fair enough. Right. <laughs> Maybe it will be a funnel in the future. Yeah, but that's what it is. The budget is like a funnel. And at this point in my life, I still don't really need a funnel. You know what I mean? Well, and you're right. It's it's this sort of longer term tracking because you may be negative some months, but you might have some huge expenses for buying airline tickets, for paying right your six month car insurance, whatever. Right, these things that all of a sudden just hit in one month, but the next month you might be up again. So these are typically, yeah. I I just don't think right now like budgeting for me is important for only number one is to know what was my net income, right? And then number two is where did I spend money as a trend, as kind of a reflection, right? That I sometimes do with Carolina at the end of the month and we'll just say like, hey, yeah, where do we spend all this money on? And we kind of keep each other in check and accountable for Mm -hmm. some expenses we made, so. I feel like I haven't used my Amazon Prime membership until I moved to this house. And it's not even like really all house related things. It's just like Alex been buying things. It's like one thing a day. Like today I bought a cable and I was like, I'm never going to have that issue again. And I'm like, you know what? I'm looking. And the problem is I'm like already negative this month. And I'm kind of like, I ride it while we're high. (laughs) That's like, it's a bad, it's a bad, uh, it's a bad habit to be in. But you're kind of in the same situation where you're like, you have a, you have a cushion you know you'll make up for this, right? And like, even though you're in a negative, you'll still buy it. Just like today, I bought yesterday. I bought a cable as well. I also bought a cable, and I know I'm also in the negative because I also had some big expenditures. That, <laughs> you know, so you know what? I need a cable. I'm gonna buy a cable. I'm not gonna wait till next month's like budget cycle to buy a cable that I need like now. So it's just I used to do that. I used to do that when I first started budgeting. Yeah. I would be like, right. you're cut off, Alec. Right. You know, you're done. But, like, you start to realize that's not actually necessary. Exactly. A, because we're lucky, because we earn enough money. Very much because we're lucky, but also because of the forecasting. I can't stress enough. Like, it's important to know, like, if you're able to point out, like, okay. Also, like, I always leave extra. I always leave, like, like 5% of my income, like, untouched, unallocated. 
mm-hmm. because I'm like, if I can, if I can save that, that's awesome. Right. Like, but I'm going to keep it completely unallocated because you never know what's going to happen. And that's the, the real slush fund. I will say this. So the interesting thing about budgeting is like, so, you know, we say we have this fortune. We're like, oh, we are able to do what we want for the most part and still save money and be okay. We're not living paycheck to paycheck. And as you list on here, how to invest said money that's extra is a fascinating problem. And I think it's because it's mostly unsolved, right? Like if we knew the best way to invest, everyone would be doing it. It wouldn't be the best anymore. And this one, I want to spend more time in learning sure. and investing yeah. time into making my money grow more sometimes i wonder like is that the way <laughs> is that the technique yeah could i make more money by not doing a side hustle but by learning how to save my money <laughs> yeah yeah no i mean what's his name remember uh oh my gosh springer jr that was in our lab oh how could you forget him man he's illustrious he's gonna he's gonna be richer than all of us one day, i guarantee well you. exactly <laughs> so 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 the whole topic of options came up again during memorial day because one of the guys that i met that day um he does options trading on the side and so he he started talking about it again i was like oh my goodness this is this reminds me so much of that of what we talked about before and yeah i mean you think about it yeah sure it's another way to like invest your money um he's very much on board with like you know you can it's less risky if you know what you're doing trading options versus just putting it into you know s&p 500 for example so i don't know i'm but like you said like one of the things i need to like really learn about is options but also things that i'm I'm of the opinion i like low management right for someone who likes to have a budget and you know, kind of check the finances of the house, right? I don't really like to deal with individual stocks or options in that sense. I kind of like just putting my money in a set of funds, right? Or electronic, you know, whether it's mutual funds or ETFs, right? Electronically traded funds. Like these are big, already diversified funds that I can just put my money in and kind of already automatically have be in like a thousand different baskets yeah i hear you man and i think that's the thing is why i don't invest too much is because i know at the end of the day the experts can't beat the s&p consistently that's (laughs) that's supposedly the law right and and it's like it's the biggest thing of mutual funds too right like people still buy mutual funds today but it's already proven that they cannot People cannot beat um, your, your your basic index funds like S and P five hundred over the long haul, right? So, yeah, I I think um, that's something I wish I knew about, and I definitely kept good chunk of money in my checking account for a long time, not having done anything in savings. And then what I eventually did with savings was then I was like, oh, Bank of America, I think one day you know as a pop up on its website was like hey, do you want to open a savings account? I was like, okay, sure. I opened a savings account, voila. Now I have a checking account and a savings account, but this savings account has a 0.1% return rate, right? Now, granted, this was like seven years ago, but still 0.1%. And I was like, I didn't know any better. I was like, I is that good? It sounds pretty okay. So I just <laughs> left like a lot of money in there for a long time that... I didn't know any better. You know what I mean? I wish that was definitely something I wish I'd known when I had my first job and it was already saving money and putting money. I wish I'd put these, you know, the money 
in a place that was actually earning some type of return. So, yeah, that's these are things that I wish uh, I knew more about. Anything in particular about investing your money you wish you knew? I, I will always, I mean, I've talked about this before on the show, but the yeah. Roth IRA versus ah, yes. the just more traditional 401k pre-tax. Yeah, it's it's one of those things, man. Like, I don't know what to do. And I, I've been still, I understand, like, there must be a good reason for the Roth and all that, but I just, I just do all pre-tax because I'm like, I'm going to ride the market, hopefully make gains now, and I think it's all going to work out. Fingers like, crossed. Like, deal with the taxes later? Deal with taxes later. Yeah. Because okay. I can't, I imagine taxes will be higher than they are now, and I get all that, but I think having that extra capital over all these years and making money off of it is a good thing right like like surely even if they're higher in 40 years like having 40 years of making interest off of those dollars is probably better well your interest also gets taxed right so the interest you make gets taxed as well so eventually everything gets taxed yeah when you withdraw right so yeah no i i understand that and i do know that like with roth like it with some of the techniques like the uh the gains are not taxed so, like, right, once you right. get to a certain level of financial security, you should definitely put everything in your Roth after that. Right. Right. And, you know, tax, like you said earlier, tax now at the lower rate. Assuming that, you know, eventually you're going to make more money and be in a higher income tax bracket. But I don't know. There's also other rules, like rules about Roth IRAs, I think are potentially a little more lenient in terms of when you can withdraw money and penalties and things like that. Because if you think about it, it's kind of like, I think of it as if I have already paid taxes on this chunk of money, it's it's essentially now fully mine, right? And mm-hmm. because I've already paid my dues to the government on this chunk of money, I, can, I, ha- I should have more flexibility to do with it however I like. Whereas... If it's a chunk of money that I still owe a ton of money to the government for in taxes, then the government has a lot more say to say, uh, yeah, you can't do this. No, you can't do that unless no, you want a penalty. Mm-hmm. And I just don't like that. I think in general, I'm someone who likes not having debt, right? And to me, not having pay- not paying a tax to the government, to me, feels like a debt. Does that make sense? That's that's fair. Yeah, I never actually thought about it that way, but I that totally makes sense. Yeah. But that's something I've only recently started thinking that way, too, is because, I mean, like, my previous jobs, up until this most recent one, I always had, like you, like a regular traditional 401k. This is the first job I ever actually um, started having a Roth. So, all right. Credit cards? Okay. I think it's interesting you're talking about points and all that, but definitely building credit history is is huge. You know, credit cards were a taboo thing in my household growing up. You know, you didn't want one. Oh, no credit cards. Really? Sure. Yeah. My parents were all about the debit, right? They didn't really utilize credit cards much unless it was to like basically carry a balance. I wonder if that was like a generational thing. I know. It's really fascinating. And I'm over here. Like when I, when I was in college, I was like, you're telling me if I pay it every month, like on time, I don't pay any fees and I get (laughs) points. (laughs) And, and, and I get like, rewarded? <laughs> yeah, they're like, that's that's how that works, yeah. And I was like, all right, sign me up. So I got myself my first Amazon credit card. That was your, that was your yeah, very Amazon first was, credit card was an Amazon credit card? Yeah. 
Oh, no kidding. A $400 limit. I couldn't even buy a TV. <laughs> like, I, I called him. I said, hey, I'm trying to buy a TV. Can you up it? Like, I'm just trying to buy a TV. And they're like, no. <laughs> I'm like, but I'm trying to get these Wait, points. Now. How old were you when you signed up for this card? I was probably like 18 or 19. Oh, yeah. I think they changed the laws at some point, right? Where you had to be at least 18. Like, you can't get a credit card if you're a minor. Because my first oh, credit card, that. my first credit card was when I was 16 in Texas. Now, was that tied to your parents' account? it might have been because i remember somebody in high school having a credit card and we're like ooh, you know right but it was tied to their parents it wasn't like an account of their own i feel like it was mine because i don't remember ever separating it like it's my very first credit card i think i still have to this day and i still use it sometimes right like and i don't remember ever going through a process where i got my own account for this card you know what i mean like which makes me think like it's always been my actual account. Now I get why you would create it under your parents and Carolina did that for a long time and she had a credit card that was under her dad's and and because of that she was never actually building her own credit history. So when like we first bought our house there was no credit history on her. Actually the guy who was doing our credit uh, search to for the for the loan, right? The home loan. He was like are you sure you gave me your wife's like information correctly? Like, can you, uh, is this the right, you know, social like, uh huh. Like birthday is correct. I was like, uh huh. And he was like, are you sure she exists? It's <laughs> 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 like, Oh my God. Like she has no credit history. Like, <laughs> um, so yeah. I don't know. She's like off grid. Right. It's like, <laughs> uh, it, but then eventually we're like, okay, we need to, get your own credit card account i ended up putting her name on like phone bills on car loans and things like that so that that's i think started helping her build her credit but yeah i mean since i was young i think i i think i was kind of fortunate to build a little history even though i didn't know much about what credit history was and i think i put this not as much as like how to build credit history as as more as like what is credit history Right. That was something I think I wish I'd known better about. And to this day, it's like, even for most people, I think, still like, kind of mystery. yeah, it is still a mystery. Like how many, and there's so many different formulas and they're all like supposedly very different, but I've kind of plateaued. Yeah. Now, the funny thing is despite how different they are, I've gotten like my credit report thing, right? Free credit report stuff. And from all the different credit bureaus and all these different like credit karma, cre- you know, mint does one, whatever, they are all usually within 10 points of each other. So I'm like, for however many like different formulas they have, they're surprisingly pretty close though. So I don't know. I, I know with Mint, when I get my credit score report monthly, the one thing that's always yellow, right? Everything's like green, right? Like your spend to credit ratio, your, your you know, amount of like unpaid balances, your whatever, Credit cards are like that peer review or that uh, performance review where like you're doing everything fine, but I, I didn't get a perfect score. You're doing everything fine. Yeah, <laughs> right. Know? Well, and it's, well, the one thing though, I think the one category that's hurting me, that's preventing me from getting like 800, like upper 800 is I think my credit age. It just, that's the one that's yeah. always yellow is like credit age. It's just not that it's not there. It's not where our parents would be. Just <laughs> I can't speed that up <laughs> no yeah, matter how hard can. I tried. <laughs> I 
I don't have a time machine. And it doesn't help that we sometimes churn cards and stuff. But it's it, it, you're right. You're 100% right. I feel like we can't get our score much better until we really just get the time because we're doing everything else right. And it's kind of frustrating. I think the interesting thing is how they sometimes I see my dip mind dip because i put a lot on my credit cards like let's mm. say i had a trip or let's say i bit, bought furniture or whatever and it's, yeah. it goes down and i'm yeah. like are you kidding me i'm about to pay this thing off if anything you should go up <laughs> 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 yeah i'm uh, like come on guys yeah i haven't, I haven't missed the payment yet let's go <laughs> and, I, and i wonder if part of the formula is that they're interdependent right for example if say 20 years down the line later you now have a much longer and more mature credit history. Not only will you get more points for just having a more mature credit history, but that necessarily also means maybe it reduces the impact of your credit score when you do have a big credit all of a sudden, big credit payment, right? If your like credit to total credit available ratio is spikes a little bit, it might lessen the impact because you you have a much more mature credit history. I don't know. I'm just wondering, like, all these different factors might have their own inter interrelationships, if that makes sense. They're not necessarily, like, isolated factors. So, I really do want to get into this last one, man. I think this is really fascinating. This might be a whole topic. But asking someone on a date... My dad was zero help with this. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know if... Uh, how your dad was but my father offered almost no advice when it came to in fact like he didn't even want to have like the talk with me i think it ended up being more so my mom or i don't even know i don't even know how it all went about but i remember her giving him crap for like not even <laughs> taking care of that like i didn't get too much guidance when it came to uh dating as my parents were with with talking about money around the house i feel like girls were even more taboo it was like what you is know, that <laughs> it's a, yeah i know right, right. <laughs> is it going to distract you from your grades <laughs> right from studies? exactly but the funny thing is when i was in college or even like senior year of high school right there were a couple girls that my parents they just knew they were like they they had a, they're my parents of course they would like have these kind of intuitions right i am their son that they've known my whole life and so they like knew like oh these girls I think June are, June is kind of interested in right, but instead of helping me like with like oh this is what you say like my dad's the same way he never helped me what they would do is make fun of me they would be like ah you know and, and it would just like bring down my confidence to like a negative value right to such low depths of you know where I was like yeah I never asked anybody out when I was in high school you know what I mean like it just. Ah, uh, man, I was bad. I wish I had dated in high school, but that I just, yeah, never, never did that. Never really knew how, you know, how do you ask someone out on a date? And the, the, the little like twist I want to add in this conversation too about this particular topic is what do people do nowadays? You know what I mean? Like I complain about like, oh, how do you talk to a girl at the time? But what do high schoolers do now? Do they even talk to girls or are they just like using dating apps and other things that like, I well, feel like the whole landscape might, you know, the whole playing field might've changed. Like rules have changed over, over the years, probably. 
I mean, I'd be shocked if high schoolers are using dating apps, right? Like, you're in high school. It's a treasure trove. Unless, maybe if you're at all girls or boys school. I don't know. I, Instagram. I'd be really surprised. Instagram or also, Snapchat. Like, I don't know. Well, I imagine a lot of courting occurs on those media sites, but I imagine they met them in person. I'd be really surprised if they ended up dating online because they don't have, most high schoolers don't have the ability to do much, right? Like, if they don't have a car, like, if this person doesn't live in the neighborhood, what are they going to do? I don't know. I think, I don't know. That's a really good question. We should uh, do some investigative work. We should call up our our younger cousins and stuff. Do you have any younger cousins? I have some I could call up. I don't have any in the U.S., no. I'm I'm the youngest cousin of my family. I feel like they might think I'm really weird for asking, but I'm really curious <laughs> now. <laughs> I think it's actually a pretty interesting question. I will say, when we were growing up, the internet was relatively new. Communication over text was relatively new. Right. And it really did change the dynamic. Our parents probably didn't even know how one would go about navigating said dynamics, right? Right. Said, well, said things. In high school, I've definitely flirted, right? And much of that was through texting and, like, Facebook messaging, which, like you mentioned, like, yeah, our parents' generation didn't have things like that. You had to go and talk to a woman. And I just feel like, what is that next leap now, you know, in in the generation nowadays? And I'd, I'd be interested to know as well. Maybe it's not dating apps, but maybe it's some other form of, like... I don't know, social media or... I imagine it's the ephemeral nature of, of Snapchat and, and the like. Those, sure. Yeah. Those are the tools I believe they spend a lot of time on. Because I, I, for instance, observe one of my younger cousins on Instagram, and she'll do like a ask me anything, and basically they're all telling her how attractive she is. And she'll be like, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, like, I guess it's a new form of flirtation. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. There was this um, professor apparently at Boston who I I heard her give this talk and she has this really interesting class where as part of passing the class, one of the assignments of the class is that you have to ask someone out on a date and you have to ask them in person. And you you cannot use any technology in the entire process, right? You have to, like, ask a person out, coordinate the location with that person, go and have that date. And, like, basically, you couldn't, like, pass a class if you didn't do that, right? So, I feel kind of bad for people who, I don't know, are just... I don't know, can't get a date. <laughs> but like, that's the kind of thing though, is I think it all spawned because she had this like, I think she was in like uh, doing office hours or something. And she had some students, all these students that just, they started talking about dating nowadays in college. Now this granted, this was in a college setting, but they were just all talking about like how different dating is and how what their parents telling them about is just no longer applicable. And yeah, and it's, it's so much more of a transactional thing now, dating, than an actual relationship. So, that's the kind of thing that I think this professor was trying to, like... Transactional. Hmm. What does that, what does that mean, though? Um, I think transactional in the sense that you're kind of almost like... You're, you're sort of products for each other, Right. And it's like, well, I have this need, you have this need, I can fulfill this need, and that's it, 
you know what I mean? And we're, we're matched mm-hmm. up in this kind of mm-hmm. way. That's kind of what I mean by transactional. Like you are doing me a favor and I'm doing you a favor. And that's kind of it. I don't know. Now, granted, I've never interesting. I haven't dated in a while now <laughs> married. So that's not really, that's kind of no longer an option. And, um, but part of me wonders what would be like, you know, just in terms of like how are relationships form now through dating. That to me is kind of interesting and makes me wonder just in general, what relationships will look like in the next five years or whatever. And they already look so different from nowadays. I do I do enjoy the fact that we're both I think we had a very similar childhoods single children <laughs> with parents that had certain t- similar taboo subjects. I think we'll need to bring on a guest that had many a sibling. Many a sibling? Yeah. Might be interesting to talk about some of the differences. Oh, like only child versus having siblings. Yeah. Cuz I I do think that's the biggest reason I've enjoyed like with having Mark and just the idea of having guests in general is we have some group think, yeah. not just because we have similar thoughts mm-hmm. sometimes and similar professions, sure. similar whatever life experiences, but like, well, I guess by what I mean is similar life experiences of being an only child, like fundamental yeah. things. Right, right, right. So I think it is good to get some diversity That's of true. thought and, and our conversations. And it is fun when we have those opportunities to overanalyze right. with a overanalyzer audience right. member. Well, what about our significant others? You ever considered having them as guests? One of these days, they can be on a podcast. I mean, it's one of those things. I, I'm sure yours is relatively available once the kids are down, but mine's uh, working right now. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. We'll, we'll, I, we'll have to do it one day, though. We'll have to have them analyze us. Yeah, overanalyze us. Then we'll just butt in and be like, that's not me at all. I know, right? Like... One of these episodes will just be them. It's just them two, like Rachel talking to Carolina. <laughs> that would be fun, actually. You know what I mean? Like, the episode just starts, and it's them. You would think, like, oh, wait, what happened to June and Alec? But it's just like, oh, Rachel and Carolina. And then you'll hear us butting in, of course, and be like, hey, <laughs> I don't do that. 